Hey friends, it's Andrew for the Into the Harvest team, and we're going to get to my interview with Glenn Scrivener in just a minute, but I wanted to jump on here at the beginning and say a word about our year-end fundraiser that's happening right now for Into the Harvest. Many of you know that nonprofits often rely on special year-end gifts to make their annual budgets and to start the coming year on solid footing, and that's the case for us this year. So I'd like to ask if this ministry has been an encouragement to you over the past year and you want to see it grow and continue into the coming year, would you do this? Would you visit our website, intotheharvest.org, or click on the link in the show notes of this episode and consider making a special gift to help us finish strong in 2019. If you've already done that, we want to say thank you. Many of you have, and we're well on our way to where we need to be. So we want to express our gratitude. And as always, thank you for partnering with us and being part of this community. We're excited about the future, so let's do this together. Well, I am joined today by Glenn Scrivener. He lives in Eastbourne, England, with his wife, Emma, and his daughter, Ruby. He's an evangelist and a director at Speak Life. He's also the author of several books, including 321, The Story of God, The World, and You, and his new book, The Gift, What If Christmas Gave You All You Ever Wanted. Glenn is passionate about people meeting Christ and equipping Christians to share their faith. Glenn, thanks for being with us today. So great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we fought through some time zone uh, ch challenges and some techni technical, uh, technical difficulties here to get started, but, but we're yeah, off and running. Great, so. It's a great age to live in that we can actually, you know, have these difficulties and, and, and surmount them. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually came across you. I was looking, I was looking this up. I think the first time your name came across my, my radar was back in 2015, about this time four years ago, and I saw that someone had retweeted a, um, a statement from you that, um, that Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus and materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. And you just le left us with a question, choose your choose miracle. Your miracle. Yeah, right. yeah, choose your miracle, but you really can't get around it. So I was intrigued by that. And then over the last few years, I've had a chance to, to get more exposed to what you're doing there. Uh, I love it. But why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit more about your story of faith and how God brought you to where you are today. Great. Well, I, I grew up in Australia and it was a church going home, but um, yeah, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me um, because I, I think I thought that there was a, a large God out there who was pretty much indistinguishable from Zeus. Um, and if you were a good boy, then you would want to give your life to this being. And I did that in my teenage years. I gave my life to Jesus a thousand times. Uh, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think every, every night from about the age of 13 to about the age of 18, I would give my life to God in ever more melodramatic ways and never really feel like he'd accepted me. Um, and when I left home, therefore, I, I figured God didn't want me, so I don't want him. So let's try and have as good a time as I can without God. And I tried to do that, and I guess the, you know the elder brother became the the, the prodigal son um, from from Luke 15, and and um, so went away to university. I was in England by that stage. Uh, our family had moved when I was about 15 years old, 
And so I was at university and I was doing all the things that university students um, do in order to get free. Um, mm-hmm. But I always say it's, it's very interesting in Luke chapter 15, um, the difference between being free and being lost is not very easily discernible. Um, mm. If you think you want independence from home, uh, you might want to describe that as freedom. Um, Jesus would probably call that being lost. And I think I was, I was lost during my uh, university years. But a friend of mine uh, asked me to read the Gospels with him. And so I, I read through, and, and it was blowing my mind, really, because I had, I, I had a picture of God who was this distant individual, high on power, low on personality. Um, and then I was being confronted by the person of Jesus, who is interesting, um, who is so compelling, who has towering love and stooping humility and just, he walked off the pages of scripture really. And, and I started to see that he was Lord really. And one of the big turning points for me was getting to the garden of Gethsemane as I read through the gospels with this friend of mine, uh, because the garden of Gethsemane in my teenage years had been um, a passage that haunted me because I, what I thought was Jesus is in that garden giving his life to God um, in a melodramatic way. So what should I do? You know, what did Jesus do? So um, I, I should do what he did. And so really my, my, whole, um, my whole philosophy of giving my life up to God again and again was based on the garden of Gethsemane. So aged about 21, my friend was challenging me to read through the Gospels, and I, and I got to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I said, I, I can't handle this passage. It's too much to, to, to pray like Jesus prayed. And my friend was very wise. He just said, uh, Glenn, do you think you're Jesus? <laughs> and I said, not in every regard, obviously, but um, he said, Glenn, you're, you're nothing like Jesus. You are not Jesus in this story. In the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, you are Peter. <laughs> and what's Peter doing? You know, failing, stupid, selfish, sleeping Peter. And Jesus prays for him. And that was pretty revolutionary. That was, oh, okay. So it's not about my life given to God. It's about Christ's life given for me. And the grace of Christ just turned my life right side up from that moment on. And so from about the age of, of 21, I really got to see it's about Jesus and it's about his, his life given for me. And that totally liberated me and transformed me. And I started shooting my mouth off about Jesus uh, from that point onwards. And pretty soon I found myself uh, working for churches and just, just doing very um, basic jobs, just cleaning churches and just being around um, Christians and being around Christian ministers and uh, I guess I've been working for churches for the last 19 years, but uh, the whole th- thread that has sort of drawn all those passages of my life together has been, I love Jesus and I want to introduce other people to him. Yeah, a lot of our listeners are, are based out of the U.S. I mean, we've got some, some U.S. citizens who are scattered around the world, but I, I would estimate that uh, you know 80% of our audience um, are familiar with U.S. culture and society. Uh, for, as someone who grew up in Australia and now has has spent a few decades in in England, um, give us an idea of what your sense of the the state of culture is in those parts of the world. Other parts of the world, is there an openness to to faith? Um, is is there a real hard hardness to that? Uh, what what do you experience as you live and share your faith? I'll speak about the UK 
more because that's that's where I've been living for the last 20 years. But I think um, the UK is notionally, um, uh, you know, notionally church and state are on top of each other in that the Church of England is, uh, you know, the state religion in that there are bishops in the upper houses, uh, in the upper house of our parliament, in that the queen is the governor of the Church of England. Um, so notionally, um, the UK is a very religious society. In practice, uh, we are utterly secular, um, which I think is the total reverse of the states. You know, in the, in the mm. states, you know, the, the, the philosophy is that church and state never the twain shall meet. In practice, you're a deeply religious country. Um, mm. And uh, I, I've got a, uh, well, someone I know very well. I was about to call him a friend. I, w- I wouldn't exactly call him a friend, but um, uh, we don't know each other that well. But uh, Tim Farron is uh, a well-known politician over here in the UK. He led um, the Liberal Democrat Party, which is the sort of third main party in the UK. And he's always saying, uh, in, in America, you have to uh, pretend to have a faith in order to get on in politics. And in the UK, you have to pretend not to have a faith in order to get on in politics. Uh, hmm. it, it's, a very, it's a very secular um, country. And yet at the same time, you have incredible opportunities in schools, for instance, because schools have not been a battleground of freedom of religion um, in the same way that they have been in the States. So I get to go into schools and teach from the Bible on a regular basis. Wow. Um, just your regular public schools in uh, the UK are meant to have um, daily acts of worship in them. Um, And, you know, only now are people starting to um, really push back against prayers in schools and and that sort of thing in the UK. So that that is uh, an opportunity. That's an open door. In terms of campus ministry, I go around to universities. I'm able to get onto campuses and, and preach with great freedom uh, in a way that my, my American friends says, say that, you know, I wouldn't be able to do um, half the things that, that we get away with here in the hmm. UK. So th- there are opportunities. Um, but, I mean, the UK is extremely secular, um, you know, about 5%. Five to eight percent of sort of church going on, on a regular, you know, weekly basis in the UK. So that's that's much lower than the states. But at the same time, that that lack of knowledge about basic Christian things is also an opportunity. We get to start from square one, and you know, we can sidestep a lot of the religious questions uh, because people's experience is is less of you know what Christians actually believe, and we can start from square one and, and present Jesus. In a refreshing way, we hope, but that that's some of the difference. Yeah, one one thing I really appreciated about both your books that that I've been able to read so far, both three, two, one, and the gift is you you do something very Jesus esque, which is you, you use a lot of analogies and parables that yes. that people are familiar with, whether they have a, a faith background, a religious background, or otherwise, to to try and articulate and to give insights into truths, gospel truths that, that we find in scripture. So oh. it's something I, I really appreciate. And I, I think that that's part of what we want to see happen too, is helping modern day believers communicate an ancient faith in the modern age that we live in. Mm. Um, you know, Jesus did that. He, he communicated the truth of the kingdom in ways yeah. that were relevant and that made sense to the people of his time. 
Yeah, we'll just Google the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. And you'll see how much Jesus loves analogies. You know, I was just reading the other day, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. He's got four animals right? <laughs> in, in the space of one breath. You know, he's like, he's mixing his metaphors. And you're like, yeah, he's, he's allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit. I, I do want to dive into this new book that just came out, The Gift. Uh, which I think would be a, a great thing for folks to not only read, but but also share. But before before we dive into that, I do want to ask you about Speak Life itself. And you've been working with that particular organization now for going on, on 10 years. How did that come about? And what is the mission of Speak Life? Thank you. Well, uh, yeah, so I started working 10 years ago. I'm only the second evangelist to be employed by this evangelistic ministry. The founder... Um, got it going in 52 and died in 82. Um, and so I, yeah, there was a long sort of hiatus until I came in, uh, in 2010. And, uh, really what was wonderful about it is I could come into this, uh, evangelistic ministry that already had a constitution that said, uh, we exist to see revival in great Britain, um, through proclamation and media. Um, and that was fascinating because back in the, in the day, Eric Hutchings, the founder, um, he had a big radio program and he had a magazine that went out there that was very evangelistic. Um, that was his media. And then he went around preaching. And these days I get, spend a lot of my time going around preaching. Uh, but these days the media is different. These days the media is podcasts and YouTube videos and, and, and books and courses and that sort of thing. So um, thankfully we're, we're able to kind of keep the legacy going. And these days we do that by preaching around the country, um, by training Christians in how to share their faith and through evangelistic media that, that hopefully equips Christians so that on their Facebook pages they can share something that's a little bit more meaningful than Charlie bit my finger and, and <laughs> cat videos and sneezing pandas. Um, so we hopefully can produce some evangelistic media that Christians like, and then what you like, you share, and out it goes. So it's this twofold ministry of, of preaching and media. Uh, we also run an internship in which people can join us for 10 months. And uh, yeah, you go, you know, you come away with me on mission. So we go preaching together. We go, um, uh, we, we learn together from the scriptures and, uh, and we produce evangelistic resources together, which we hope bless the church and reach the world. Yeah, I just caught one of your videos uh, this past week about um, there was a, a dragon in the nativity. Did you guys just produce that one? Yeah, it just came out a few days ago. So, yeah, it'll be out on Facebook as well uh, tomorrow night. So, yeah, just, just one of the, the many um, sort of resources that we try to make. Christmas is a wonderful time for reaching out. And we find that Christmas videos and books as well um, are, are ways that you can really share the gospel. Well, tell me a little bit about this this book that just came out, uh, The Gift, which is a a very readable. Uh, it's not a long book. Um, it's it's very to the point, but it's 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 posing the question. You know, what if Christmas gave you all you ever wanted? And I I really enjoyed this. But where where did the idea of taking gift giving as a lens to to help us understand the nature of God and even our own experience of, of humanity, what it means to be human. You, you take this, this, this one idea of gift giving, which is, is very front and center during Christmas. And then you use that to really unpack the gospel. So where, where did that story come from for you? 
maybe it began with um, Kelly Capich's book, God So Loved the World, He Gave, uh, which is a tremendous book that I that I am often recommending to, to other people. It's really just a meditation on John 3.16, and it gets into all sorts of Trinitarian depths and um that, that sort of got the cogs whirring uh, a few years ago. Peter Lightheart's written some really great stuff on giving and receiving. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's really gotten me to think that when you give a gift, you're not just giving a third thing. It's like there's you, there's a recipient, and there's, then there's this thing in between you. Actually, you're kind of giving yourself, if it's a good present. I mean, if it's, Am- if it's Amazon vouchers, then it's, you know, <laughs> not a particularly meaningful gift, but um, if you have thought about something, you saw it in April and you knew in April that you wanted to give it for Christmas, you know, that kind of gift, you put yourself into it and it, and it communicates something of you, it communicates something of them, and if they love it, then they, they feel known, they feel seen, they feel loved. Um, and actually, gift giving is at the heart of life. You know, we, we say that love is the greatest thing, but it's, it's hard to imagine love without some kind of self-giving that's going on. Hmm. And why would that be so? Well, maybe John 3.16 is true. We have it on good authority that God so loved that he gave. Um, and so, therefore, these, these relationships of give and take, of, of reciprocity, um, that back and forth is something that goes very deep. It's, it's the greatest thing in life to be involved in a give and take and a back and forth. Mm. And then with biblical eyes on, you, you, with, with biblical spectacles, you, you start to see, ah, life is like that because God is like that. Mm. Um, you know, and, so, and so you start thinking about all these scriptures where, where Jesus says, um, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Or you think of John 17, verse 24, that was John 3, 35. And John 17, 24 is, um, um, Father, you loved me from before the foundation of the world. And of course, the gift of the Spirit has been filling the Son from all ages. Um, so the very nature of God is that in the, in the triune life, in the triune life, there is back and forth, give and take. There is sharing. There is, there is gift at the heart of all reality. So theologically, that's what I'm thinking. And then evangelistically, what I'm thinking is let's start with the experience of Christmas. Let's start with what you love about Christmas Day. And, you know, we, we love giving gifts. We love receiving gifts. Um, and let's try, and, let's, let's try and take people by the hand and say, why is this so fundamental? Why is this so profound? Why do you seem to resonate with this? Could it be that this is the glory that is humming throughout the cosmos? Could it be? And I just want to draw people increasingly to that vision of life. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. One, one thing that you you did, I think, a great job of, of is is highlighting that life itself is a gift. Which you know, as you get as you get going through the the busyness of your daily routine, your weekly routine. Um, you know, 2019, here we are, it's almost over, which probably most of us would say, yeah, it seems like, where did it go? Um, and yet, if you take a step back, uh, life is amazing just to be alive. And we all acknowledge that creation itself, the world, and even many of the the experiences, even the mundane experiences of life, there's, there's a beauty, there's a joy to these things. Mm. 
And yet, on the other hand, we know that there's something broken about the world. There's evil. There are things that that aren't as they should be. And then when we when we introspect, we realize that hey, that's true of me too. That there are there are experiences that I have where I am giving, uh, but then there's a, there's a side of me that that's very much about uh, using people and trying to take from others to to find life. Which again, um, sort of creates this this bifocal vision on the goodness that points us to to God and this this higher order, mm. and at the same time the uh, the flaws and brokenness in our world and in ourselves that uh, point us to the idea that something's not as it should be. Right. So, um, h- how did you go about uh, working that into into the book, and how do you go about trying to share that with others? Part of it is from a conversation I had with an atheist a few years ago. I was uh, at Oxford. Um, I was speaking to a whole bunch of students, and there was this 19-year-old kid who came forward after I spoke, and uh, and he, you know, he was trying to school me in a few things, and and in the way that 19-year-old guys sometimes do, especially if they go to Oxford. But um, he. Uh, he started talking about things like, um, what about Old Testament wars? And, um, and I said, well, that, you know, that's, that's interesting. You know, do you, you have a standard of, of warfare that, that is sort of super temporal that you can apply, you know, to, to things that happened 3,000 years ago? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's just a given. Hmm. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And then we started talking about, um, he was like, well, obviously, materialism is true like atheism is, is just we are just matter in motion and i'm like well that's interesting because you and i we are minds relating to each other and mm-hmm. you know i have a consciousness you have a consciousness and through language and reason and rhetoric and emotion we're having this back and forth and what do you notice about everything mm-hmm. i just mentioned they are thoroughly immaterial it seems like the most basic stuff of life is mind and 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 meaning and morals and music and maths and all these things which are totally immaterial he says yeah but those right. are just given it's like oh okay givens given and he kept using this word givens 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 and, you know at the, <laughs> at the end of my conversation i just said ever wonder who the giver is <laughs> you know <laughs> you take everything for granted do you ever wonder who the giver is um and it's just true everything that we experience in life is is a mm-hmm. given Will we, will we allow those gifts to, to lead us to the giver? But then there is absolutely the problem of evil and there's the problem of suffering and what do we do with that? Hmm. Um, actually, another time I was in Oxford, I was um, debating the chief executive of the British Humanist Association, um, uh, Andrew Copson. He's a great friend of, of Richard Dawkins. And uh, we were debating, is God worthy of worship? And his opening 10-minute remarks uh, were entirely taken up with parasites. And he just said, you know, there's this parasite that does this horrible thing, and there's this parasite that does this nasty thing, and there's this parasite and this parasite. Ten minutes of this. And then he said, loving God, I think not. And I sat down. <laughs> and so what do I say? So in the rebuttals, I just got up and I said, well, let's think about parasites a little bit more. What is a parasite? The story of a parasite is this. You have an original life-giving good thing and then secondarily, you have this other thing called a parasite that latches onto the original life-giving good thing and sucks the life out of it, right? You've just narrated the Christian story then, that hmm. in the beginning, there was a giver. In the beginning, there was love. In the beginning, there was light. 
but we have fallen. There has been this secondary thing called evil that is mm. that is perverted God's good intentions for this world. And actually, every example we can point to about what's gone wrong with the world is an example of something that's originally good that goes wrong. Mm. Parasites um, suck the life out of an original life-giving good thing. You know, death is parasitic on life. Disease is parasitic on health. When relationships break down, it's because a good relationship has been twisted and perverted. It has fallen, shall we say. So (laughs) the biblical story just matches up perfectly with our experience of the world, that even, even the evil we feel actually points to an original good. So right. we explore that in the book. Yeah, I love it. There was one, one particular, I don't want to give away the whole book because I hope people will pick this up and uh, check it out for themselves. But there was one particular story that you tell about um, a, a, a student, a, a science student in the lab who's been given a plant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she spends months basically breaking down the material composition of this, of this plant to determine what is it. Um, you know, using all of the the tools of science to try and discern uh, what this object is that's been given to her, yeah. and um, turns out that it was a rose <laughs> was given given to her by I guess someone who was interested in her. Right. It had a, on a Valentine's mean, Day. He gave it yeah. to her on Valentine's <laughs> Day. Right. And she was ignorant of the meaning of the rose, and so and she, she just examined its genome. Right. Exactly. So, you know, trying, trying to make sense of life and, and trying to make sense of the most deep questions of life mm. while limiting ourselves to just the scientific process um, leaves so many things off the table in terms of, of understanding what's yeah. real, what's true. So that was great. And that's, that circles around to what you say about analogies. Cause I'm always talking about Betty, the botanist, you know, which, which is this example. It's from three, two, one, my, my first book. And, and, um, yeah, you put yourself, you, you tell the story about Betty, the botanist and, you know, Gareth, the lab assistant has given her a long stem rose and all she is doing is mapping its genome and thinking that she's the cleverest person on earth. Betty is a moron. Right? <laughs> she's incredible. You know, she's very clever about right. that rose on one level, on another level, she doesn't understand the first thing about the meaning of the rose. And this is what's great about getting using analogies. You, you immerse someone in the story, they understand who the characters are, and then right. you say, I think, I think you're Betty in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be. I was, in a, I was in a great conversation. We went on till midnight. Uh, last week I was in Bath University in, uh, in England and, and um, the conversation went on till, till midnight and these guys kept on, I, I kept on pointing out, look, your materialism does not account for minds and maths and morals and meaning and all these sorts of things. And they said, okay, that's fine, but we can, we can do matter in motion. And isn't that great? And every time I kind of brought up the fact that minds might be important, <laughs> might be important, they were like, ah, but that's just you with your God of the gaps. You're just, you're just trying to insert God into the gaps in our knowledge. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's like Betty saying, that's like Betty saying, okay, if I keep on looking into the genome, I will discover the romantic message behind the, behind the rose. <laughs> no, this is not a God of the gaps. This, this is the God of the whole show that you need to look up and, and, and right. see. So that's another example of how you can use analogies to immerse people in the story and get them to see the world in a different light. 
yeah, you've got so many of those in both of these books. So um, tell me a little bit more. This book just came out, um, The Gift just came out. I uh, picked it up on Amazon for, for Kindle. What are your hopes for this particular book um, that you would want to share with our audience? Just a little bit of buffering. Yeah, so, sorry. Yeah, I think my hope, no worries at all. Um, I think my hope for the book, it is short, as you say, and deliberately so. I've, I've written about five or six of these short little books um, that is the sorts of things that people might actually read. Um, you, you know, you give people a book that's 200 pages, much I'll give it a go. Um, and maybe they'll do what I do with books is I'll read the first chapter, you know, give it 30 pages and see. Um, I mean, if you give the gift 30 pages, may as well press on to the end. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a book that people, I hope Christians will read and then pass on to non-Christian friends. And then afterwards say, well, what did you make of it? I, mm. I hope it's a gift that gets used as a stocking filler, as, as a present that you can give to, to non-Christian friends and family members. And I also really hope that it gets used uh, in churches. Uh, we've produced um, a video to go alongside uh, the gifts. So that's something that you can use uh, in your church service. Uh, we make available all our branding, all the sort of elements to the book cover and the video um, so that you can, you know, make your whole PowerPoint slide presentation exactly like the gift. Um, and you, you could do a gift themed uh, Christmas outreach uh, if, if you liked. Um, and uh, lots of churches are buying, you know, boxes of 100. I've, I just today um, heard of a church buying 2,000 copies copies of, of, of the gift of all their carol services and, and that sort of thing. So um, I, I hope the book gets used in, in all of the above ways. And already I'm giving the, the book out to, to friends and, and I'm saying, you know, what's the earliest Christmas present you've, you've had? Is November too early? And, and, and they have a laugh and then I sort of give them the book. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's the kind of giveaway book that it's long enough that you can, you can actually communicate something of the beauty of Jesus and it's short enough that people will actually read it. So I, I have high hopes that this this could do some great good uh, for the gospel. Yeah, I, I think it will, brother. I really appreciate you writing it. Is the best place, where would be the best place for people to go if they wanted to, I mean, I went to Amazon for the book, but it sounds like you have some other resources that are available to folks. Yeah, if people, um, I, I wrote it with The Good Book Company as the publisher, and uh, thegoodbook.com. Um, you can, you can find, uh, the gift there, or if you're in, in the UK, uh, thegoodbook.co.uk and uh, people can find it there. Well, Glenn, I know we got a little bit of a late start and I know you have a, a heart out here. So I want to, I want to be honoring of your time, but I really appreciate you joining us today. And, uh, we're going to try to do this again sometime next year, maybe dive yeah. into three, two, one, which I thought was an outstanding book. I hope folks will check that out as well. But uh, Merry Thank Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Merry awesome. Christmas in advance. And uh, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much, Andrew. God bless. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.